Life Audio. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Sparkle Speak. I'm your host, Catherine, and today we have on our guest, Cynthia Garrett. I started listening to Cynthia's podcast show called Cynthia Garrett's Girl Club, which that led me to buy her books, Prodigal Daughter, Journey Home to Identity, and I Choose Victory, Moving from Victim to Victor. Cynthia is simply put, a lovely human. I learned so much from speaking with her. We talk about moving from a victim's mindset to one of victory through transforming our minds and leaning into the Lord. She also shares a couple interesting moments from her experiences in Hollywood. Cynthia began her career in television on VH1 before going on to host later with Cynthia Garrett on NBC, making her the first African-American woman to ever host a network late night show. She now travels the world speaking, teaching, preaching, and sharing life in Jesus in her own unique and powerful way. And so after a few words from our sponsors, please sit back, relax, and enjoy hearing from Cynthia. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. I am so excited to have you on today. I, um, you know, first actually heard of you from Life Audio and listening to your podcast. But um, as I looked into you a little bit more, I saw you had two books, um, Prodigal Daughter, A Journey Home to Identity, and I Choose Victory, Moving from Victim to Victor. And I will tell you, I did read one of those. I read I Choose Victory, and I... We'll get into that later, but I really resonated with a lot of what you had to say. I also saw that you, um, you know, began your career in television and hosted a uh, network late night show. And so I hope you speak a little bit about that. If that comes to your mind, I think that's really fascinating. But yeah, I'm just honored to have you on today. So thanks for being here. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm happy to be with you. Yeah. So we um, always ask our guests this question, and I think this is a really good starting place to kind of launch us into talking about our faith journeys. Um, But I would love to hear from you. When did you first start identifying yourself as a Christian and how did you first come to know God? Oh, always. I I mean, I feel like I've always known God. Um, And I have identified, you know, as a Christian for as long as I can remember, because, you know, I had something that I was going through in my childhood. And I just, I was always aware that God was with me in it. You know, when I would cry at night, Mm. when I would, you know, when I was like, I don't understand why this is happening to me, Lord. I don't, you know, why is this person doing this to me? You know, and he was just always there. I could, I mean, I knew his presence was in the room with me. So I always had a very real connection to a very real God. And 
it was always, you know, Jesus. I just always knew that he was real. Um, so yeah, I mean, and if there was, a, you know, a defining moment in which I, I went to Catholic schools my whole life, you know, so my mom, you know, she, she wasn't, she didn't, you know, she wasn't necessarily like a surrendered Christian per se, but she was raised a Catholic. And so what she knew to do was to give us those values, you know? And so I, there was a point in my, you know, walk as a young adult where I began to really question, okay, you know, what's real about my faith? You know, you start, your faith starts to go from a childhood thing to a grown up thing. And, um, there was a certain point where I got saved, you know, and that was a very defining moment for me in my testimony where, you know, I was living through a nightmare in a foreign country. And this is the, this is the subject of my first book, Prodigal Daughter, Journey Home to Identity. Um, and I was, you know, had run off very young and married a very abusive man and ended up in a very bad situation as a witness in a trial against him in Italy. And so there was a moment really where I felt like I was at the lowest of my lows that I, I re I, I said, God, are, are you real? I've always believed that you were real, but if you are, I really need to know it now because I, I, I feel hopeless, you know, and that's when God really revealed himself to me. And I, uh, someone came to me, I was, oh gosh, it's a long story. I was literally in a prison cell waiting for a bunch of madness to occur that would, it, you know, then take me out of this prison cell, keep me in Italy under house arrest for almost two years to testify against this, this abusive man that I had run wow. off with and married as a young, as a young girl. And this all happened in the course of just a, a, just a few months, but Someone came to me in that prison cell, a little nun, actually, she was my angel, you know, from God. And she gave me a Bible and, you know, being raised Catholic, I didn't really read the Bible. Father read the Bible and then mm -hmm. you confessed your sins and blah, blah, blah. But that, a lot of that didn't make any sense to me as a young person. Cause I always felt like, yeah, but God was with me in my room. I know mm -hmm. God, he talks to me. I talk to him, mm -hmm. you know, I, he was always with me. So I really questioned that part of my upbringing. And so now here I find myself many years later in my early twenties, mid twenties, and I'm in this mess where I've run off and married a guy I barely know. And mm -hmm. I'm in a prison cell and in Italy. And this nun comes to me and brings me a, a, a new Testament. And that's a whole testimony in and of itself, which you'd have to read the book because it's, it's it's too long a story for this interview. But I dreamt uh, an angel visited me in my dreams and um, she looked exactly like my grandmother in my dreams, but she was dressed all in white like an angel or a nun. And I thought, you know, God's always been very visual with me, visual with me. And it made sense because I figured, well, yeah, I mean, I nuns, Catholic school, but I woke up the next morning and literally this nun comes to me dressed all in white. And she looks just like the, my grandmother and the angel from this dream. And she said exactly to me in person, what she said to me in the dream, in my dream, 
she was like in front of me and she held out her hand and she had a book in it. And I looked at the book and it said the good news. And I just looked at her and she said, do you know God? And I said, yes. And she, and she said, then you, you know, God's word, he's going to send it to you and you're going to read it. And if you read it and commit your life to it, he'll save you and everything will be different. And so the next day here, this little nun who's essentially the spinning image of the angel from my dreams uh, has this, she comes to me with this book in her hand and she, she sticks her hand out to give me this book. And she says in Italian, do you know God's word? This is God's word. If you read it, he'll save you and it'll change your life. And I look at the book and on it, it says the good news Bible. And that was, that was my defining moment of knowing that God is real. God is very active in the lives of those who believe or who call out to him. And he manifests in a number of ways. And I've never, not with theology or anyone else's theology, put God in a box. He's God. He can do wow. whatever he wants to I do. I have chills coursing through my body from that story. That is incredible. And, you know, I I have heard... um you know, a few testimonies like that, where it's just so clearly God, it's, you can't even, you cannot even give anyone else the credit, but him. And it's amazing because when that happens, I feel like it's almost like you get hit by a Mack truck. It's like, you don't walk the same or talk the same after something like that. Like that is just, it changes you. And clearly that happened to you. And that's, um, I mean, it's devastating. You had to walk through such trials and dark moments. However, the beauty that came from it was that you were able to see the Lord so clearly. Oh yeah. I mean, I wouldn't trade a moment of my testimony and it was crazy, but I mean, I also, I have my, I had, I have my son. I have so much from that testimony, my faith. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, you know, for anyone listening, it's not like, it's not like you, like you have a defining moment, right? When you meet Christ. I mean, I think most believers, they sort of, there's a process that goes on. There's a courtship, there's a wooing, you know, God was calling me from the womb. I mean, that's why I'm like, I always knew him, but then I encountered him in a different way than I had in which I understood that he was very, he wanted to be active in my life. And that was through the word of God. Because being raised a Catholic, I didn't, we don't really read the Bible. The priest reads the Bible. And, mm-hmm. and I, that's a problem, you know, and because believe God wants us to be in relationship to him. The only way to be in relationship to him is through his word in the Bible. I mean, you've got to, it's like, it's like saying, I know, you know, I know my husband, but I never take time to go out to lunch with him or ask him how he's doing. Like you have to take that time. And if my husband writes something, I need to read it. If I'm interested in getting off into his thoughts and into what he's thinking and feeling, it's the same with God. And so for me, while I was saved, I mean, I, I mean, I, I was saved alone with only God dealing with me in a prison cell in Italy. And I, I mean, I, I read the word and it was alive every day as I read, cause that's all I did all day from cover to cover was read the Bible. And it was like, even after all of that, that's one part of this walk, but then there's another part and that's called, I, I call it the, the actual journey to surrender in a mature way, because mm-hmm. a lot of Christians get saved, but, we're, and, and we're saved, but we're not necessarily surrendered. 
It's very childlike. You, you all of a sudden think, oh my gosh, he's there. He's Santa Claus. He saves me. He's there for me. He gives me everything I want. He blessed me. He gave me a career on television, you know, after I was saved. Like it was all like me, 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 you know? And, and then there came that point where I realized, okay, hold on a second. This is not about me, me, me. It's about me and God, but God is the boss. He's yes. the sovereign one. He's the ruler on the throne. And I had to surrender my life in a whole different way on a whole different level. And that's when you can impact the world. <laughs> mm, that's amazing. Yeah. And you know, that's happening our entire lives until we leave this earth, I think, because I I know I've gotten to places in my faith where I'm like, I I come out of something and I'm like, whew, all right. I feel like I'm more surrendered now. That was great. And then you know, a few more months go by and there's a, something new that God's revealing to me. And I'm like, here we go again, you know, but it's, you're right. It, it allows you to change more lives the deeper we get in that surrender. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's the continual transformation. You know, Jesus said, be ye continually transformed by the renewing of your mind in Christ Jesus, continual renewing of your mind. Well, as you continually renew your mind, you're more, you're better for, for his work. You're more impactful in the lives of other people. And you, you do surrender more because, but I think the ultimate act of surrender is to actually sitting underneath that scripture and knowing I every day need to seek the God that continually renews my mind about mindsets and ways of thinking and living and, and, and doing that have been there your whole life. They've been Mm -hmm. there with you. You know, there's damage, there's wreckage, there's conditioning that's been there with you a long time. And only Christ can really and truly transform all of that. You know, I don't think we even have it in our flesh to transform it on our own because most of us get very comfortable in the way things have been, even the dysfunction and the brokenness. (laughs) Amen to that. And it's, it's, it's a hard thing to come out of. Actually, that really does lead me into my next topic I wanted to talk to you about. And that's one of your books you wrote. Um, the I choose victory moving from victim to victor. And I guess just on a high level before we zoom in a little bit, because I think it's so good. And I encourage any of our listeners to definitely pick up a copy. I have been loving it. But what inspired you to write that that book particularly? Uh, Oh, that was really easy. I was talking to God one day. And my first book, Prodigal Daughter, I, I mean, it really took me all over the world speaking and sharing my testimony. And, you know, the Lord's blessed me with, I'd say some, you know, discernment to actually see sexual abuse um, in other Mm. men and women. And so that book had a very big life because a lot, a lot of people were finding themselves on every page of it. Um, I'm very transparent about what my sexual abuse did to me as a young woman, my self-esteem, my my picker, my picker for guys, you know, was wrong. And I was in Hollywood. So it was very easy to pick all the wrong guys, you know, because the world usually affirmed my choices because they were wealthy guys or famous guys. So the world around me was like, oh, you're so lucky. Meanwhile, inside of me, I'm going, am am, am I lucky? Really? Because I'm not sure this really lines up with my faith. And so 
prodigal daughter really gets, I get into all of that, you know, and how I really came to the Bible, you know? And so I was talking to God and I'm like, but God, it's been, I've been, it's been years of, of sharing this. And I'll always share my testimony always because, you know, Hey, it said it's Bible. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So our testimony of what Jesus did in our life, in our mess is everything for everyone around us. So Mm -hmm. yes, but I was like, but God, you got me through it. Like I attest, I'm a walking testimony. So I'm ready to, to talk about the victories that you've given me. And, and he's, and I literally heard him say, yeah, you chose victory. And that's how the name of the book, literally, I was like, oh my gosh, that's my next book. I choose victory moving from victim to victor because so many people I learned through my testimony all over the world are victims of something. I mean, and we live in a nation for Pete's sake. That's like, it wants to hang identity on victimhood. We are not what happened to us. We are the sum total of the choices that we make in Christ who created us. And that's, and I knew it was time for me to share what I really felt was how people could look at their own stuff and choose victory instead of being a victim. Yeah, that's beautiful. And what led me to ask you about this book in relation to, you know, standing on the word of God and allowing that to transform our mind was that in the book, you talk a lot about how it is our own choices that ultimately like choosing to hang on to Christ and what he offers us is what frees us. But we have a choice. We have a choice to ignore it or embrace it what he's offering us. And I think the, some of the concepts you talked about in your book really spoke to me because um, sometimes we get stuck. Like we want to choose Jesus. We want that for our lives, but sometimes in our pain, our brokenness, our shame, all the, just the horrible things we feel can just keep us mentally and emotionally and spiritually from moving to that place of victory. And so I want to just talk to you a little bit about that. And again, I encourage people to actually pick up your book. They'll learn more from that, but just a little taste of it here. Um, Can you give us like just a few of the roadblocks that you have found keep people from experiencing the victory in Christ? Oh, wow. Um, Well, forgiveness is a huge one because when you have been victimized, the person who did something wrong to you is wrong. They're not right. They actually don't deserve forgiveness in the, in the clinical sense of the word. However, when you don't forgive, you keep that situation chained to you because there's no resolve there. There's no peace there. There's no Jesus there. When you are a believer, you, un- you, you understand the power of this and can walk in the power of this if you don't understand it, if you listen to me now. Jesus Christ's whole gig on planet Earth was about forgiveness. God sent his only son to die for our sins so that we could be forgiven and stand before God, right? So if we don't forgive others, then we're choosing to basically say what Jesus did was stupid. Like we, we're really not down for that part of it. Well, if, if you don't embrace what Jesus did for others, then you can't really embrace it for yourself either. And it's not real if you are. So it's, a, it's, a, it's almost like it's an honoring of our faith in Christ to honor 
the gift of forgiveness that he gave the world. Now, the problem is that people don't understand what forgiveness is and what it isn't. Some people think that forgiveness is a Disney movie. Oh, I forgive this person for running over, you know, my foot with their car or for raping me. I forgive them. That's not what it is. It's not a Disney movie. Forgiveness isn't necessarily something that the person deserves and you have every right to feel angry and to not forgive them. The thing about, about forgiveness is that what you're doing is you're taking your right to judge that person and hold them in unforgiveness and you're giving it to God. And you're acknowledging that God, who is the God of forgiveness, knows a lot better about each of his children than we do. And you're cutting that chain off from yourself and you're giving that whole situation to the Lord to deal with because he's a better judge. He's a better, he renders out equal and just punishment. He knows better than we do. And so the thing is, is really just in understanding what forgiveness is and what it isn't and chaining that unforget, cutting that chain of unforgiveness off of your life. And, you know, it's really simple, you know, I mean, my, I was sexually abused as a little girl. That's my testimony, right? Well, my, I've forgiven the relative who did this to me. I, I forgive him, I let him go, but I don't have a relationship with him today. And I certainly wouldn't let him babysit my children. Right. Like that would just not be wisdom. And God doesn't expect us to be unwise. So that's, that's really, that's the main thing I think in not being a victim. Main critical point, because it is about your spiritual foundation. And you've got to really find that and understand that in order to be free of these things that have victimized you. And then the next thing is to understand your identity. God created us. Our identity is found in Christ, in the word of God, in understanding who God is, who Christ is, how much God loves us and values us that he would send his son to die for us. I wouldn't send my son to die for any human being. I know, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. but God did, you know, because he finds us worthy, even though we're not, you know, mm -hmm. he finds us, he finds us righteous because of Christ, even though we're not. And so it's really critical because I don't think a lot of Christians understand their actual identity in Christ. They've watered our God-given identity down to fit with what they want their identity to be. And then they take God along in the, in the dialogue about it. But mm -hmm. if you read the word of God, you will see who you are. You know, you will know that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You will know that in beginning, he created them both male and female. And you, you'll know why there's, there's, there's no other way that identity works 1000% unless you work the word of God and what God says 1000%. Mm. And then after that, I think, you know, there it's, there's, it's, it's all about seeing yourself, you know, as God sees you then, and then walking in it, you know, there's the, and, and, and faith having faith because God wouldn't make you to leave you in a mess. He just, he, he, he doesn't operate that way. And that's why if you know God, you know your identity, but you can't know your identity unless you know God. Mm -hmm. You've got to know the God who created you, you know, and, yeah. and wrote the owner's manual for your life.
That's beautiful. Yeah. And one thing that really comes to mind, um, and, and you can speak as little or as much into this, obviously, as you feel comfortable, but, you know, one thing I think of a lot when it comes to um, survivors of sexual abuse or trauma, um, sometimes the byproduct of that can be shame, like a lot of uh, feelings of shame. And so when I think about overcoming that in terms of identity, do you have any um, advice or maybe anything that comes to mind in terms of how someone could um, kind of find victory from shame uh, by knowing their identity in Christ? Well, yes. I mean, first of all, you would know that, I mean, what scripture says, and scripture says a lot about how he washes us. He he, he makes us, he, he clothes us in white. We are the bride of Christ. Uh, you know, there is no, con- therefore there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There's no room for shame in Christ. You know, shame is something that doesn't come from God. It comes from Satan. You know, that the enemy wants to use shame to keep you stuck in a little small box so you never open the lid of the box and get out and step into your actual purpose in life. And when you do, when you realize that the enemy is the one using shame in your life, then what you understand is that that experience that caused you shame, God wants to turn it into a weapon against the kingdom of darkness. Mm, Everything that has happened to you is like a weapon in your tool belt. And when you get out of that little corner box of shame, you realize, hey, you know what? I've got a war chest here of experiences that I can pull from to impact the lives of other people that Satan's trying to do this to also. And shame is one of the biggest ways God can make you play small. And what, you know, I'll say it like Mandela's speech. What does the world gain by you playing small? Mm. Nothing. Nothing. You know, wow that that's that's very powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, that actually reminds me a little bit. Um, I was going to tell you this at the end, but I'll just tell you now because it's on my mind. So I am giving a talk uh, actually next week with my mom about forgiveness. Uh, we had someone very close to us, you know, a certain family thing, and and we're speaking at a women's event on forgiveness. And we started working on this talk back in February months ago. And uh, I was having a hard time. I just felt like, how do I boil down this large concept, something I don't even have words to, I just have feelings to, how do I give a talk on this? And I just could not get it on paper. I was like so lost. And actually, because I was going to be... um, interviewing you, that's when I picked up your book and I read it and it was like all these things just were clicking. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes, this is, that's what I was trying to communicate. Wow. And so all these pieces just started fitting together. And I really wanted to tell you that because I'm so grateful. But the one thing that really, I think this will always stick with me is, um, it was the quote from your, your friend, Sheila Walsh. Mm. And uh, it's in the, what is it? The, uh, what do you call that? The pre, the preface preface. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah. Um, I will just read it real quick. So she says, um, Christ could have chosen to leave the marks of crucifixion behind in the tomb with the rags he was wrapped in, but he didn't, he chose to rise still carrying the marks of his crucifixion. 
Um, the only scars that will be visible in eternity will be the scars of Christ. When wounds are open, we need time for healing. But when they become scars, they become part of our calling and our purpose. Because where your scars are, there lies your authority. And Ooh. that just, yeah, it impacted me so much because I was like, wow, like I do feel scarred. And yeah. sometimes I don't like those scars. But when yeah. you realize that that's where your your power is where God can literally use you to move and change the world. I mean, it makes me like my scars. It makes me feel not necessarily proud of them, but that they're, they're worth something. They matter. They have purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have purpose. Yeah. Sheila's really deep. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's true. You know, there's power in them. And, and it only God could do that, you know, because in our flesh scars, just they're ugly, you know, they're ugly and they, everybody wants to hide them and cover them up. Right. But with Christ, you realize the beauty in those scars and the power, you know, that those scars carry. And yeah, it's look, it's, it's not fun to go through difficult things. I mean, you know, there are times where I wish that, you know, some of the, uh, the the sexual abuse I experienced at the hands of a relative, you know, didn't happen because of some of the ways that it's made me feel or think. But then the flip side is God has redeemed all of that. You know, he's redeemed it and he's allowed me to use it to see redemption and freedom in other people's lives. And he's blessed me, you know, he's taken care of me, you know, and and, and I, I know that I'm loved when I sit in his presence, you know, with a, with a love that's unexplainable and, and w in spite of the scars, you know, mm -hmm. in spite of even what happened that day, you know, because of the scars, because sometimes we act out because of our scars right? yeah. and, mm -hmm. and in forgiveness, by the way, when you're forgiving your abuser, you sometimes have to ask God to forgive you too, because there are things you do in response to your abuse no matter why you're doing them because you're in pain or because you're confused or because you're lost, but they're still, it's sin, you know, mm -hmm. it's going against the word of God. Why? To protect yourself, to make yourself feel better, to boost yourself up. It, you, you know, it's all these false kind of flesh things that we do to try to put on the good face. God's not interested in a good face. He's interested in us being transparent and naked and trusting him mm -hmm. with all. You know? Yeah. Amen to that. That's beautiful. And one final question just on this, this topic, I guess, um, of your book, but you talk a little bit about um, the battle against our own minds when it comes to um, healing and getting out of this victim mentality. Um, what advice would you have for those who really want to win their, their mental battles, but they're having a hard time kind of getting out of their own head with their thoughts? Ah, well, okay. So scripture, you're supposed to take every thought into captivity to the cap into captivity with Christ, right? So you bring those neg you got to understand that negative thoughts are not from God. They're from the enemy. You've got to take those thoughts in prayer to God and line them up against the word of God. This is why knowing the word of God is so important. So if the enemy brings me a fear thought, I counteract it by saying out loud, uh-uh, God didn't give me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. It's written. 
It's written. Mm. And God is not a man that he should lie. That's written. Like you begin to realize that your entire dialogue against those negative thoughts is all found in the, in the Bible. It's all in the word of God. And if you stand on it and use it, you clear the atmosphere, you know, and it doesn't mean you're not going to struggle, for example, with fear, if that's your struggle until you actually learn to take authority over it. And I mm -hmm. think the struggle, sometimes God will allow it until you're strong enough to take authority over it when it raises its head. So you might get the lesson in a few different ways sometimes, or you might get the, and then all of a sudden you realize, oh, wait a minute, same lesson, different day. Uh-uh, get thee behind me, Satan. I see you. God didn't give me a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. My mind is sound. I'm powerful. Mm -hmm. And I, and, and I, and I don't have fear. I have love. You know, I don't need to fear this situation. I don't need to have doubt about this. Mm -hmm. it, it, God's got me, you know? I love and that. It, yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's great. That's really um I th I think uh relevant and you know it, it's always been relevant obviously, but I think we have a lot of anxiety in today's culture. I mean, just what we're up against and constantly having our phones. I mean, I'll tell you this real quick. I'm I've always been afraid of storms. I don't like storms. It's gotten way worse this past month and guess why? Because my work sends me alerts on my computer, my email and my phone, it'll text me. It's like a simple storm and it's like tornado on, you know, I-96 headed your way. And I'm like, what? So my anxiety is like elevated now. And I was like, what is going on? And so I, I do, it's like, sometimes the way the world is today, we really need to like hone in on the word of God and let it soak almost like a protective shield over us so that we can just stand against everything coming at us. It's true. You know, look, I mean, maybe, maybe because what happens is we start to partner with the enemy in those fears. That's what happens. We start to speak those fears. We start to react to those fears. Now, now Satan's got us in partnership. Now we're right there. We're projecting the fear right along with him. And we're giving it life. Mm. One of the hardest things to do as a believer is not give life to those fearful thoughts that those darts, those flaming arrows that the, that the enemy sends into your mind and tries to get them rooted in your heart and in your behavior. That's the thing. Like it all just takes over. You know, now all of a sudden you're getting a weather alert and you're driving home and you're not going to teach the Bible study you're supposed to teach because you're afraid that the storm is going to hit the church. Like it just gets, it gets cray cray, you know? Mm -hmm. and, so, and you know, it's so funny because maybe you should pray about this. Maybe your partnership with the enemy is in those alerts. Maybe you need to just turn the alerts off. 100%. You know, you know, God, I trust you. Like literally, I, you know, there are stories of Christians who stood in the middle of tornadoes coming at them and the tornado changes course and goes, takes out all the neighborhood, but their house is the only one standing. Wow. Our God is an awesome God and he reigns in heaven mm. above in wisdom, power, and love, right? The song, mm -hmm. our God is an awesome God. We really have to believe it. Mm. We really have to believe it. You know, that I, yeah. Amen. That's all I can say. <laughs> that's, that's great. Yeah. Great. And, you know, as we, as we wrap here, we've been talking a lot about the word of God and how important that is. It's a very common theme in your story as, as it should be. And I guess just right now, where you are in your life today, do you have a favorite verse or something that God's been, you know, teaching you lately or speaking over you that you could share with us? Oh, boy. 
Yeah, he's really been teaching me about great faith, you know, about how it's impossible to please him without faith um, and helping me navigate the attacks on my faith. You know, he's really been using fear, you know, because faith and fear are the opposite, right? So he's been using a fear surrounding my a health issue that my husband has. Um, and I don't even, he doesn't have a health issue. I won't even speak it out loud because you know what? In my mind and, and with God, I know he's healed and he's fine. But it is interesting how the enemy tries to use that. And in general, if there's anything, it's fear. You know, that that's always been the thing that, you know, he tries to use with me. Um, it's almost a joke. You know, like my mom... My mom used to always, everything with my mother ended in death. Hmm. You kids stay away from the top of the stairway playing ball. One of you is going to fall down, break an arm. You're going to get in the ambulance. The ambulance is going to have an accident and you're going to die. And it was like, why can't we just like drop the ball over the edge? I don't, I mean, like, why does it have to end in death? Everything. And it's, we tease her about it. And my, my husband one day looked at me early on in our relationship and he goes, oh my gosh, you are the Meryl Streep character from Lemony Snickets. Now, I don't know if any of you have seen Lemony Snickets, but if you remember that character, right? Mm-hmm. She was, oh my God, the kids are here. You better be careful. The worms are going to come out of the ocean. And they're going to grow really, really big. And then they're going to rip the roof off of the house. And then a monster's going to jump in the night. And then everybody's going to die. Like yeah. everything ended in death. And he made me watch that movie one day. And I literally looked at him. I was laughing so hard. And then I just started crying. And I said, oh my goodness. I said, I get this legitimately. This is a thing. And he goes, right. And then I realized how easy and how how I had passed a bit of that on to my own son. And so I had a really good repentance session of fear, mm. you know, and and really like God, you know, forgive me. Mm. Really forgive me for this because this is not faith. And forgive my mom because she didn't mean that give that to me, you know, just like I didn't mean to give my son stuff that at 30, he's now going, yeah, no, mom, I don't receive that, (laughs) you know? So if there's anything he's working with me with right now, it's growing me in this way. And, and I, I, I pray always, you know, grow me, grow me here, grow me here so I can overflow it, you know, grow me. Um, And so scripturally though, I think I always go back to be ye continually transformed by the renewing of your mind in Christ Jesus, because I, I consider myself and every, everyone I know a work in progress, you know, and it's that in Proverbs three verses five and six, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Those are my two signposts because sometimes I just don't know, Mm. you know, whatever it is, we just don't know, but I look for God somewhere in things as a signpost and he's faithful. He doesn't want to leave us here lost. He wants to order our footsteps. He wants to have us walk on a safe path and not on shaky ground. So we can trust him in that, you know, we can trust him. That's awesome. I I'll tell you, I needed to hear that today. I have a two-year-old and a three-year-old boy and, uh, I, I am nervous for their lives all the time. And I'm trying to learn as a young mom, what does this really look like to just surrender them fully? But when they're running out in the street and I can't control their little feet, 
Oh man. I will yes. tell you it's, it's a work in progress and I'm getting there, but yes. I need, I need those, the scriptures just to remember and keep my mind at ease. Oh yeah. Especially around your kids. I, I mean, this is just the one that brings every mama bear I know comes to her knees behind her children, you know, mm-hmm. but, but, you know, but the Lord showed me so much about my son because I had my son in my testimony and he saved my life. It's part of the reason why I got out of this prison cell in Italy. And all of these things are connected to my child of promise, you know, and he's amazing. I mean, I just, I love this young man who loves God so much, but God told me one day, you know, he's like, look, if you think you love him, what do you think I feel about him? If Mm -hmm. you think you got plans for him, what do you think my plans look like? You know, if you think you want him kept safe, what do you think? I want for him. And do you trust me with all of that? And, and he sort of told me it's like a house that you buy and you have a mortgage and you make your mortgage payment to the bank. Well, God's the bank and he owns our kids and we hold them in trust. You know, we hold, we hold them in trust and, and we're supposed to behave and do certain things because of that, but he belong they belong to the Lord. And if we remember that, I think it'll help us. Yeah, that's great. Wow. I love that so much. Thank you. Do you have time for one last question before we wrap up? Okay. This was a fun one. Okay. Okay. So because you, uh, you know, have lived in Hollywood and done that whole thing, I don't think that's something, you know, just any old average person experiences. So I think it's a little fascinating. And would you mind sharing like, just a story, like what's like one of your funnest or wildest stories from, you know, late night TV or what that world has been like? Oh my goodness gracious. Um, well, I, you know, it was a fun, I, I've always had a fun career in a lot of ways. I mean, I really, I really did. And then of course there's all the things I look back in wisdom and go, oh boy, you know, there's a lot that's not right spiritually in Hollywood. But there's also just a lot of lost people who don't consider themselves Christians or much of anything living for themselves in the world. So you put that all together with fame and fortune and money. And guess what? You've got a real potential mess on your hand. But I do have some wonderful, fun stories, I guess, through my years there. And I, you know, one of the one (laughs) something that's kind of funny, I guess, that relates to today. And I don't know why this came to my brain, but Um, I got really hooked into the Johnny Depp trial with Amber Heard. Yeah. Terrible. And I, I got hooked into it because I never could believe that what was being said about him was true because I had had my own experience of Johnny when we were both younger and, uh, he was all, he was a much bigger star, obviously. And I was a young journalist up and coming, you know, had my first shows on television and I had to interview him. And I just remember he was the biggest, kindest, warmest gentleman in the room and so accommodating and, and sweet. And so, and then my brother's ex ended up marrying him and having children with him. Oh, wow. And so, yeah. So through the years of the experience of him indirectly, I never heard anything except for what a great guy that he was. And so I, I don't know. I think about that a lot because I'm like, yeah, you know, you, you make your judgments of people and then you, they do first impressions are lasting impressions. 
And so I often think a lot about the people that I've worked with who made a great first impression. Um, other fun, fun story. I hosted the Oscars one year for ABC Network and I took my mom as my date. And uh, we got stuck in a corridor in between takes in commercial breaks. You can get out of your seat and go to the, there's like a little bar lounge area off to the side at, you know, where of the shrine where they, you know, they have the Oscars and they have all these VIP, this VIP room set up. If you're part of the show, which I was part of the show that year. Mm -hmm. So I took my mom to the bar to get her, uh, she wanted a glass of wine. We get a glass of wine and we're coming back and then they'll hold you in this little section if you're too late from the commercial break and every, then they put a seat filler for you until the next commercial break. So they don't interrupt the show. So now we're stuck in a holding section with George Clooney. <laughs> and I had interviewed George every year for, I don't know how many years. And George Clooney's one of those guys who could not see you for five years. And you walk in the room and he goes, hi, Cynthia, how you doing? How's your son, Christian? He's that guy. Wow. It's, it's a supernatural gift he has. He doesn't forget people. And because of that charm and grace, everyone loves him in Hollywood because he makes you feel valid and worthy and valuable. He is that human. It's lovely. So here I am stuck in this holding tank with George Clooney. And I turn around and I look at him and smile. And he says, hi, Cynthia. And, I'm, and my mom's just like freaky. Like she knows I don't know George Clooney, but like he's said my name. So yeah. So I, he's like, and who's your date tonight? So I introduced him to my mom. My mom spent like five minutes, 10 minutes in this holding section, literally like this, close, you know, back to face to face, talking to George. He loved on her. He was so sweet and fond all over her. And then the doors open and, you know, I said, goodbye. Thank you. We went back to our seats and my mother looked at me and she, and, and I was dating a person who was nominated for something that year. And she looked at me and she goes, we can leave. And I said, but mom, I mean, I worked the pre-show. So we have these seats for the whole show. And then I want to congratulate, you know, Terrence after the, after the, you know, it, see if he wins or not or whatever. And she goes, I could care less about anyone else. I don't care about the date you went on. I don't care about the show. I just had 10 beautiful, glorious minutes with George Clooney and we can leave. She was starstruck. <laughs> oh, beyond. Oh, beyond. I laughed. I laughed. So I still think about that story. And I laugh so hard because my, it's your mom. You know, you love to bless your parents. And if you have a, a career where you can give something to someone that makes them happy, because my mom doesn't care. She's not, mm -hmm. you know, I've invited her to a million events. No, that's okay. You go. That's okay. You go. But she did want to go to the Oscars and it was a special night for her. So that's awesome. That's what a, a blessing. Yeah. No, thanks for humoring me. I just was like, I can't not ask you that. That's kind of cool. So thanks I for sharing that. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of Sparkle Speak. As always, you can find us at sparklefaith.com or head over to our partners at lifeaudio.com where you can hear more podcasts just like this one. Don't forget to check out our show notes to find all of our social media. And as always, don't forget to rate, subscribe, like, share this with people that you think would enjoy hearing. It really helps us more than you realize and allows us to keep doing what we love to do, spreading the hope and love of Christ with others. So thank you so much for being here and we will see you next episode. Bye. Bye. 
Hey everybody, I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. We're hosts of the Kainos Project podcast. Where we help you tackle ancient Christian truths in everyday settings. To learn more and subscribe, go to lifeaudio.com.